Hi, I'm Robert McGinnis. I'm the driver of the number nine Palto Network Synchros Racing for Mazda car. And welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And welcome to the Bloke and the Bird show in what is traditionally our last show of the year. And it's typically our last show of the year because, well, the season's over and we go on vacation. Well, as it is, and this year is no different. It is going to be the last show of our year. But we unfortunately have some other news. Now, the show is not going away. That's the good news. It is not going away. However... Um, we've got some major events that are going to be coming up the first half of the year, essentially. And as a result, we have to put the show on hiatus for a little bit. We're not going away completely. And I, I want to make that clear. A break. Yeah. The domain is not going away. So this will not be like the last time that we let Bloke and a Bird show go into hiatus and let the domain lapse and now can't get it back because some weird north korean scammer owns it or something like that that's not happening we're keeping the domain we're keeping the facebook page that's good because i just paid to renew it we're even keeping the bloke in the berg email so that the cease and desist letters continue can continue to come in correct you know we, they have to go somewhere so that we can ignore them right <laughs> the fact that you ought to file them into file 13 is uh, not at all a problem according to our lawyers What's bucket. so bad about file 13? It's a circular file that sits on the floor, gets taken out every week when the maids come through. That's the problem with file 13. Oh. Tends to be known as the black hole. <laughs> Roach Motel. Letters go in, they never come out. Oh, it's like the drawer in which, um, for Top Gear, where they put, like, the two bad pilots in there. Yeah, kind of like that, too. Our cease and desist letters belong in the same drawer with really bad pilots from Top Gear. I think we've improved. So the plan is what the goal is. One, like I said, we're keeping the website alive. We're keeping the domain alive. We're keeping the Facebook page alive. So we still plan – well, actually, it's probably just going to fall to me because Trisha's not going to do anything. Let's be clear. The appropriate yeah. level setting is that – called the division of labor. All of it is <laughs> – one hundred percent there. <laughs> Me management, you labor. Right? <laughs> um, we do intend to keep some, you know, make some posts as things happen that we feel are notable and catch our attention, and we just want to be snarky about. Yes, I mean, really, that's all that it is. Um, we also will try and do. A few podcasts during that time. I don't know how often that will be. I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I would suggest not setting your clock by them. Um, but at least enough so that we can keep the show from getting dropped out of iTunes. That's the goal. That's going to be our big goal. <laughs> so that we don't have to try and resubmit the show to iTunes. That's going to be the goal. We'll see what happens there. Um, we do intend to bring the show back later in the year once things have stabilized and settled down a bit and we'll have more info as to what was going on and why we had to do it but we for right now 
there will be a hiatus for a stretch. But let me clear up. No one is sick. No one is dying. No, well, no one. Everybody is dying. I mean, it's. Okay, your nihilistic approach <laughs> to life is just not positive okay. here. We're all going to die at some point in our life. Both of you. Look on the bright side of life, guys. Both of you. Nothing is wrong. These are all good and fabulous changes, but they are changes that something's got to give, as you can imagine. So the one thing that had to give was the thing that doesn't bring us any cash. Fair enough, yeah. There's that, too. So, you know what? That, that's really good that you're talking about cash. And, and we should talk about how what we are doing is a completely different strategy than VJ Malia's financial stylings. Well, you know, it's my goal in life that I used VJ Malia as a warning. <laughs> as what not to do? <laughs> well, you know, it, it worked for him for a stretch. All Ponzi schemes do. Yeah. <laughs> well, on Wednesday, there was a hearing at the Westminster Magistrates Court to determine or, or to rule on his continuing status for hiding, I mean, remaining in the United Kingdom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not hiding, but hiding. So a, a, as a reminder, um, VJ's business Malia, or, or VJ's business Malia, VJ's business <laughs> empire, <laughs> needed more coffee this morning. VJ's business empire, besides including Sahara Force India Formula One team, which he is no longer a part of, um, also included Kingfisher Beer, Kingfisher Air, which crashed and burned pretty spectacularly. But not um, literally. Not literally. Financially, though, it was a major, massive disaster. Um, but he left India in 2016 after defaulting on debts of more than $1 billion. And that's billion with a B. That just, it, it boggles the mind that you could have debts to the billions of dollars. So, of course, the Indian government wants him to come back. He's been charged with fraud and several other accounts of um, misappropriating funds and poorly handling funds. Vijay denies flatly that him coming to the UK was an attempt to flee from India. He says out that that is not what happened. And he says that he made an unconditional offer to pay back the money that he owes in full back in July. He just write a check? Yeah. Whether or not it's a good check or what it counted. It might was. be a little rubbery. It's yeah. probably just gonna be a balanced check. So as a result of the hearing, however, the Westminster Magistrates Court has ruled that VJ can be extradited back to India. Wow. Um, so where it stands now, he is not on a plane. He is not, unsurprisingly, VJ is not on a plane heading back to India right now. He does not have a plane ticket booked as far as we know. Um, he has not been thrown out of the UK. Now it gets referred to the UK Home Secretary for a final decision as to what will happen. So it is up at the Home Secretary's office. We don't know when that decision is going to come down, mm -hmm. but we'll see where it goes. I can't imagine why VJ is not rushing to book an airline ticket back to India. <laughs> 
My question is, is he rushing to book an airline ticket to a country that possibly does not have an extradition treaty with India? Well, there's that, but there's also the question of where can he move his money to, his remaining money to at this point? Because I would assume that he would not just want to go to a country that didn't have extradition with India, but also somewhere that would protect and, and allow him to move his remaining funds into sure. so that he could continue to live in something other than a box under the interstate. But or, if it was VJ, it would be a really nice box under them. Well, I was going to say, or in the case of how he's living now, which is like one step below a palace. He might have to downgrade. Especially if he's going to be using England as a place to hide well, I don't no, think he's, he's about to be, lose that option. I think he's losing that one. So, outside of VJ Malia's financial stylings, McLaren has announced a new racing venture. With Honda? No. Oh. And not with Chevy. It will not be Chevy powered. Okay. Um, actually, they are bringing their aeronautics and aerodynamics know how to professional cycling. Oh. So they've announced a joint venture with the UCI World Tour team Bahrain Merida. Um, now, this is specifically the McLaren Applied Technologies Group, which, by the way, is part-owned by the Bahrain Sovereign Wealth Fund, Mumtalakat. They'll become a 50% partner in the race team uh, and want to turn it into a winner on the world stage. So we are hoping that they have more success than they have had in the last couple of years over in Formula One. But this is cycling, so this is human-powered. Yeah. How are they going to make it blow up? <laughs> well, what's not clear is whether or not the blowing up part was McLaren's fault or Honda's fault. Because remember, we believe from what we have seen that, especially after this year, that the true weakness of the McLaren, and this is, you have been insistent, I think you were proven right this year, that the McLaren's true weakness may not necessarily have been the blowing up of the engine, but the chassis and aerodynamic design of the car. Don't misunderstand. I think the Honda engine in the <clears throat> McLaren era was not a great engine for the car, but I think that it masked all the other problems that came to light when they went to a Renault Power. Now, this isn't the first time that uh, McLaren has partnered with a cycling team. And okay. McLaren Applied Technology in particular. I should be very specific about that. Um, they collaborated with uh, the bicycle manufacturer Specialized, um, which big name in racing bikes and, and mountain bikes. And they also helped Team Great Britain ahead of the 2012 London Olympics. So this isn't necessarily new ground for the team. Well, that's good to hear, because they don't do well with new ground. And the or other thing, the, the other thing I actually have to wonder, even though Fernando has left McLaren, well, he's left the the Formula One side of the team. We know that he still has some involvement with the leadership structure and just in general with the team. Uh, Fernando is a very, very big cycling fan. Mm -hmm. um, and there was talk at one point, I think it was in 2012 or 2013, 
that he was considering taking part ownership in a cycling team. So I got to kind of wonder if some of the reason McLaren is, is extending this partner is because Fernando ha has asked to do this. I think that's interesting. I, I definitely think that's a possibility that he's pushing for um, an outlet mm -hmm. in the cycling world. So in other extracurricular activities, we got word this week that Valtteri Bottas will have his first chance to drive in WRC. Oh, cool. Uh, he will be participating in the, uh, oh, I just lost it, the Arctic Lapland Rally from January 24th to 26th. Uh, he'll be driving in an M Sport Ford Fiesta rally car, uh, similar to the one used by Sebastian Ogier. I'm not familiar with the WRC folks, but Sebastian won the last two World Rally Championship titles. Okay. So he's going to be driving in a strong car. His co-driver will be Timo Rat Ratianen, who navigated Marcus Granholm to WRC crowns in 2000 and 2002. Um, but this is, I mean, very different experience for uh, Valtteri. My, given how he drove this year, it might be a very good test to see where he could race in his future. Well, I, I wouldn't quite go that far. I mean, to some extent, this is an Arctic rally, so he's going to be driving in very different traction conditions. Car handling and car dynamics are going to be very different from what he's had to deal with. And, you know, we heard from Robert Kubica that one of the reasons why he liked driving in WRC is because he felt that it prepped him really well for driving a Formula One car in poor traction conditions, and that's why he was so strong driving in those conditions. But the other thing is he's not the only one in the car. Right. You know, WRC drivers have co-drivers who are reading to them pace notes. He's got to learn how to react to that kind of stuff. I think that part would be very interesting too is having to learn – you know, it's not just you sitting out there by yourself and your own thoughts. It you got somebody sitting there telling you, you know, when to turn and how and hard and all those things. Yeah, um, I I can't imagine willingly wanting to be a co-driver in a WRC car. I think it's terrifying enough being <laughs> a passenger in any car. Wow, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> This is like the time on Top Gear when James May did like a co-driver thing when they had a, I think it was like a Jaguar on a rally car course. Bentley. But yeah, that that's what a co-driver does. So hmm. yeah. We're also hearing more about Lewis Hamilton's extracurricular run last week. You know, we spoke last week about how Lewis had gotten to test in a superbike at uh, Haref. And the initial reports coming down was that he appeared to be fairly good and had decent pace. Well, what we have since found out is we've gotten more information about it, that Lewis was actually asked to take things a little slower. Oh. Now, that wasn't, he wasn't asked to take things slower because his pace was so well and he was doing so blistering. Um, it was more that his form was a bit... Bad? Yeah, it was not great. 
And he was scaring some folks with how he was taking some stuff. Um, Possibly entering corners more in line with the speed that you would do at a Formula One car than on a bike. Um, Leaning a little further than he possibly should have in many of those corners. Um, Folks were a little concerned that Lewis might hurt himself. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. (laughs) That's not good. (laughs) But we, we don't know how his times compared to others, just that he kind of scared some folks. Not good. So from that, from Lewis and Valtteri and their extracurricular activities to the team and the team's preps for 2019. So they're doing like, they, they've gone off to do a ropes course together and they're going to do some trust falls and team building, correct? Kind of, but not really. Oh. So Toto Wolf has expressed that he, he's very concerned at the, the level that the team has been performing and the level of energy that they get from everybody on the team. Being able to maintain those levels and that energy with everybody on the team and keeping everybody healthy and focused. Um, as he says that sometimes a level of energy can become unhealthy and that is an area we are putting a lot of effort into in order to be able to continuously perform at those levels as an organization we are looking at the working environment this i think gives you an idea of how well-rounded the team has to be and how much greater the focus is than just performing on the track and that there's so much more that goes into it. He says that they're looking at, over for everybody on the team, they're looking at nutrition, at sleep, at medical support, at sports. They're looking at giving days off, sending people home if they feel that they're not in a good frame of mind. They're looking at psychologists, at mindfulness at the team. He says he could speak for hours on all of the things of what they are doing around this. Um, but he says that, In a modern organization like a team that is traveling to 21 Grand Prix every year, you need to be aware that the humans are your key resource. It's not about the one that talks to the media and speaks to the car or the one that sits in the car. It is the 1,800 that sit in the background and have to perform every single day and have to be better than the opposite number in the other team. We have to look after them and us. Wow. I think that's important. I, I like the fact that Toto is thinking holistically. Yeah. Now, over at Ferrari, they're not talking about any of that stuff. No. They 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 are relaxing and enjoying themselves, or at least the, the senior folks are. They're relaxing and enjoying themselves. They, they um, Although they didn't host the traditional Christmas lunch um, that Ferrari normally hosts for journalists. Oh, that that you know they they've rolled back on a lot of their their party stuff that they have done in the past because you know they're much more serious now. Well, they're Italians; they have to be more serious. The Italians are not necessarily the most serious <laughs> of personalities. Okay. Um, instead, they took advantage of an event at the Conte Editori. I'm not sure where the obviously Italy to reveal the launch date of their 2019 car. Already we are talking about launch dates. Yeah. That means we are getting close. Well, the, um, actually, the Conta Dettori, it was 
a auto sprint award ceremony that was held in Milan at Garage Italia. So we found it. It's there. Um, but the unveiling of the car, currently codenamed the 670. I'm assuming it's going to be called like the SF something or other 42HR thing. <laughs> Real name coming soon. But the car will be revealed on February 15th in Barcelona, three days prior to preseason testing. Okay. Now, Mark your calendars now. I would assume that that location may change, but right now it sounds like it'll be unveiled in Barcelona. And now that Channel 4 is unwinding some of their coverage, mm -hmm. now they're not fully unwinding it. They're, they're going to be doing, for, for those who care about the Channel 4 coverage in the UK, they will be delivering highlights for every race with the exception of the British Grand Prix, which we, they will be airing live. Sky Sports in 2019 will be the only, the exclusive provider of live Formula One coverage in the UK and in the US. Correct. Which sounds a little odd, but as a, that reminder that ESPN is basically re-airing and rebroadcasting the Sky coverage, which leads to some oddball graphics like the fact that they, you know, the temperatures are in Celsius and the times are in local UK time and not the US time and things of that nature. But we do have word of where some of their team, is, some of the Channel Four team is landing. Okay. Karun Chanduk, who we think very highly of his analysis. Oh, yeah. He's great at analysis. He is returning to Sky Sports. So for those of you in the U.S., you will get to enjoy some of Karun's analysis. Now, returning because he worked with Sky from 2012 to 2014. And to give you an idea of what this means for the Sky broadcast, besides the fact that they will be broadcasting all of the races live in the U.S., commercial-free during the races. Plus, we get pre 30 minutes of pre-race coverage, not the full hour that you get in the U.K. and the hour post-race that you get in the U.K. But he will be joining a lineup that, in addition to Ted Kravitz and um, David Croft, also includes, in terms of past Formula One drivers and Karun is a former Formula One driver as well. But this lineup will also include Martin Brundle, Damon Hill, Paul DeResta, Anthony Davidson, Johnny Herbert, Nico Rosberg, and Jensen Button. Jensen! I mean, talk about a strong lineup of commentators here. True. Now, hope. what I really do hope, though, is that with Karun coming over and Jensen coming over, that at least they take Martin away from the from the gridwalk. Yeah, his gridwalks are painful. Because I, I like Martin's commentary for the race. He, not, not on the gridwalk. But Jensen on the gridwalk, that could be really kind of cool. The truth is, no one has ever done a gridwalk as well as DC does. Well, actually, it's that combination of David Cothart and Mark Webber. They do truly. A very you put good, them together. Good combination. But even DC on his own does an incredible grid walk. He's pretty much the grid walk master. But and and I think some of that is because 
he's not afraid, especially as you get deeper into the season, when he gets snubbed by a driver or a team manager or, or, or somebody like that, when he gets snubbed by them, he's not afraid to make snarky remarks back. I think that's part of it is he's very pushy, but he's also kind of verbally walking him, walking you through what's going through his mind of who are we going to get. Martin Brundle gets in the middle of that grid and you just watch him spin. Yeah. It's like, you're not moving, you're not, you just don't know where to go. It's like system overload. His little robotic system does not work anymore. <laughs> but you're right. His commentary from the box is amazing. I think it's awesome. Other changes for being proposed. Well, actually, I shouldn't say other changes because we don't know yet. Um, we did get word this week, though, that Monza is looking to make changes to the track uh, in time for the 100-year anniversary of the track in 2022. So the whole idea behind these proposals is, you know, Monza is already known as the Temple of Speed. Mm -hmm. They want to make changes to make the track faster. Oh, whoa. So longer straights? Not fully, but yes, one of the things that they want to do, there's three uh, chicanes currently on the track. They want to remove one of them, which would give you, yes, a longer straight. They also want to reprofile, and we don't know exactly how they, they're looking to do it, but they want to reprofile the second Lesmo corner. Um, I would assume so that drivers can take that faster as well. The other thing that is... On, that apparently they are talking about um, some new access roads, a new main grandstand, and a possible renovation of the old banking. Ooh. And a the whole idea, according to um, the president of the Italian Racing Federation, Angelo Sticci Damiani, is to potentially have a full workable banking to return Monza to a, ten, a potential 10-kilometer circuit. Whoa. That's cool. Now, I can't see Formula One Doing going back 10. to the— Not just the, the full 10, but probably I can't see them doing the banking either, just knowing the downforce and the pressure that would get applied to that structure. Yeah. Um, and, and knowing the, the danger that it posed before— but for other series to be able to use that banking again? That could be very cool. Yeah. That could be very cool. So they, they say that the cost should be about 100 million euros. Um, they believe that they can get the money um, from contributions from both local and national government. Um, but they're hoping to move the project forward. What they're saying is a key to moving it forward, though, is getting the the extension of the Italian Grand Prix contract. Ah. So. Honestly, you got to think about it. The kinds of changes they're making to do it for $100 million seems pretty low. It does. Now, I, I would assume that removing the chicane is probably fairly simple. Um, they'll probably just leave it there and then just repave a straight you know, extend the straight paving through the chicane. That's probably the easiest of the bunch to do. But grandstands aren't cheap. 
grandstands aren't cheap. The new access roads probably aren't cheap. And the other question is how much work needs to be done to the Lesma corner. All right. And, and what the structure for the banking. banking. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk, and we haven't really mentioned it too much. We've been trying to stay away from it because there's a lot of it's a lot of rumor going on, but there's been a lot of talk in the British press, particularly around the struggles in negotiating some new deals to keep the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Mm-hmm. Well, in response to some of these conversations, um, Bernie Eccleston's come out of his hole. No, oh, no. No, he was in there pretty solidly for the last half of the year, but he has come out. According to Bernie, now he hasn't said when this has happened, but according to Bernie, he approached the owners of the of Silverstone and made them an offer to buy the track and was turned down. Okay, but he probably did that in the mid-'80s, and it doesn't count. Well— <laughs> That's the question that I've got here, and, and that's why I point out the fact that he didn't say when he has come when, when he approached the, 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 the owners of the track, uh, BRDC still owns the track. He, he, he never said when he approached BRDC because we do know that the track was for sale for, at one point. Right. And that there was talk that Jaguar might buy it. And there was talk of a couple that they had three serious contenders who were looking to buy the track, what, two years ago? So I find it hard to believe that he approached them two years ago and was turned down. That, yeah. That's that's where I kind of wonder of, you know, he's coming out and he's doing this and, and he's stirring the pot a little bit. But they also announced that they were taking a track off the market, what, a year and a half ago? Right. So if they weren't looking to sell for the last year and a half – well, yeah, when he approached him, this, if he approached him this year and said, hey, I hear you're having problems getting the British Grand Prix. I'll buy the track and handle all this stuff. Well, yeah, I could see them going, yeah, thanks, Bernie. Go away. <laughs> well, also keep in mind, these people also have dealt with Bernie before, even if they were, even if he. He's part of the reason they had this problem. Right. But even if you think about it, even if while they were still on the market, he gave them an offer, they could have gone, no, we're not selling to Bernie. Yeah. What Bernie had to say, you know, in, in his own special way, he said, they must be comfortable, Silverstone. I asked them if they wanted to sell because I would have bought it and they didn't want to sell. They were not interested. We could have had the race, obviously. Anyway, they don't want to sell, so they're comfortable. They're not desperate, but they've got to have an F1 race. I think he gets caught up in the goddess. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it it's him trying to stir the pot. Yep. That's what he does. I mean, that's all his use is these days, is pot stir. Now, the track has declined to comment <laughs> on Bernie's statement. Okay. Wisely, I think. I think so, too. But, yeah, I just had to point out that Bernie has emerged from his hole to stir what little bit of trouble he can. Um. There has been some agreements between the teams and team owners for the future. Oh. So some acknowledgement that, yeah, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to attract 
um, some new constructors, and right now that barrier to entry is really kind of high. And you look at Honda, and it didn't go very well. One of the concessions that the engine manufacturers have made is that if somebody new wanted to come into the sport, that they would share some technology with these new constructors. Okay. Um, if a request was made, and now they didn't specify as to what would be shared, but the assumption would be something of value mm. to help streamline that onboarding process. And I think that's huge because outside of listed parts, there's no, and, and even when it comes to engine design, there's no sharing. Right. So I think that's kind of huge. I think you're right. I am glad to know that they're working on a formal onboarding process. I don't know if it'll change much. Make yes, but they're at least working but, on an onboarding yeah. process. Um, the other thing is uh, Formula One management has put down, has made it clear that they remain committed to improving the racing and improving close racing and passing within the series. So we know that there are changes that are coming this year. There's already, or, or for 19, there's already rumors that some of the teams may have figured out ways around those changes that will not necessarily lead to closer racing. We don't know yet. We'll know more in Australia. However, Formula One management has come out and said that, you know what? If these don't work, we're going to do more. Okay. This is not the end of the road. There are more plans. There are more things that we can do. And if we need to trot out more changes, we're going to do that. Now, it may not be till 2021, but we're going to do that. Okay. We'll see what happens. Right now, it's just words. But again, knowing whether or not a team has figured out a way around the new regulations is not going to show up until Australia. Yeah. So... That's all we had for Formula One. We did have, I wanted to point out, one story I thought worth mentioning, Formula E. This weekend was the opening weekend of the Formula E season, the mm-hmm. 2018-2019 season, with its first race in Saudi Arabia at the Iad Daria E-Prix. Okay. Um, BMW won the race. So their return to motorsport all of a sudden really well. On the other hand, not really all that great was Felipe Massa's performance with Venturi Uh-oh. in his first race in Formula E. Um, now, Formula E does have the fan boost system. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know fans get to vote, and as a result of fan boost, drivers get some extra power at select points of the race. Um, in terms of the voting for this race, Felipe finished second in the voting, behind Stoffel Van Dorn, the Flying Waffle. Yeah, um, Luis Degrassi and Anto- Luis Lucas Degrassi, Antonio Felix da Costa, and Daniel Apt also. Uh, ranked high enough in the fan boost voting to get fan boost power. Great. However, Felipe Massa got not one but two penalties for the team's use of fan boost. I don't think it was necessarily Felipe's fault. I think it was, it appears to be 
some software issues around regeneration and when it could be deployed. So this was probably not Felipe's driving that did this. Um, however, um, he activated the system before the 22nd minute of the race, which is the earliest that it can be used this year. And as a result, he got a time penalty of five seconds. Okay. Now, that was added to a second penalty that he got worth 25 seconds, Ouch. and that was done in lieu of a drive through penalty for using 150 kilojoules of energy for his fan boost, which is supposed to be limited to just 100 kilojoules of energy. That's why Ooh. I think this was probably a software issue and not something that Felipe did. But as a, as a result, 30 seconds in penalties for fan fan boost issues um he overall ended up in i believe it was 14th for the race Ouch. so not a great showing uh stoffel actually qualified in fourth uh but finished i believe in 17th it looks like there was probably an incident and that's why he ended so far back there were a handful of cars in fourth fifth and sixth um that qualified in fourth fifth and sixth that either finished the race back in the teens or did not finish at all. So I, I suspect that there was probably an incident. Okay. But, yeah, wanted to share that. Interesting. How fans can ruin a race. I don't know about that yet. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about that yet. other titles for this I mean, particular story. Okay. So we finally have to talk about our predictions. So all It would this not be ahead. fair if we went to a hey and went on hiatus and did not go over the positions. For, for All this look ahead means that we should take a moment and look behind us as to remembering where we were when we started the 2018 season. Or in other words, what were we thinking? Also possible. <laughs> um, so Price and Waterhouse has taken our predictions They've run it through, calculated the results. We have a winner and a loser. Now, did was it just our results, or did you include everybody else who put in predictions for the season? I only looked at our results. Okay. So you're going to have to go and do your research on your own. I'm sure, Phil, you've got a spreadsheet already made. But <laughs> Bill has somebody, charts and graphs The, the person who was responsible for collecting and reviewing those the, the predictions for 2018 clearly fell down on her job I, I i i did the bare minimum we're gonna go with bare minimum okay okay so are you ready well how about i read them off and you two sort out what the results are gonna be oh, I so i'll read off the questions okay i will tell you what the results okay are. so question number one was the easy one the given the default we had to ask the, the first two were who will win the driver's championship? So you and I said Lewis Hamilton. Yes. I know. The boy said Vettel since that's my man. And and he was wrong. However, I will say this. Um, given Seb's performance this year, it was a strong choice. It was. And there was a point that it looked like he actually had a fighting chance. So, yeah, I, I, I got to at least applaud him for that call. Mm -hmm. um, with the next one being who will win a Constructors' Championship. So, going in reverse now, the boy said... Ferrari. 
And you and I said, Mercedes. And I think it gets the same caveat as the, yeah. the driver's championship. They seem to have a whole bunch of potential coming ahead. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. I, I think that's really going to be where we've got to watch. I, as much as folks are, are talking about how excited that they are of the potential of this Honda engine and the Red Bulls, I don't. I'm I'm not seeing it. No. Um. So that is two points each for you and me. Okay. And zero points for the boy. Okay. So the next was the traditional Kimmy question. Would he leave F1 this year? And I think it's very, very key that the next part of this question is included in the evaluation. Because we then said that retired, replaced, and fired are all acceptable. Okay. However, you have to lead with the first. This, is the, this was what the Price and Waterhouse determination made. The first part of the question was, leave f1 not leave ferrari that was the key distinction to that question thus you and i both got it wrong with a a yes that he was going to leave f1 and the boy said no got it right he is still in f1 regardless of where he is he is still in f1 okay Next question. Mm-hmm. Will Valtteri get his Mercedes contract renewed for 2019? Okay. so I we went know. far on a limb on this. So the answer to that question was yes. He got mm-hmm. his contract renewed for 2019. The two people that said yes without qualification were the boy and me. Mm-hmm. However, your answer was specifically yes if Ricardo isn't available. And as a result, I think I deserve only half a point for it. And Price and Waterhouse agreed with you okay. and gave you half a point. Okay. I, I, I think I, I felt that that was fair because I, I did say yes. I just thought that Ricardo was going to slide into that spot. Okay. So you, were, you did receive your half point credit. Okay. So the next question, who will score more points in 2018? Max Verstappen or Daniel Ricciardo? So this is where the tide starts to turn in the predictions <laughs> and the scoring. The boy said Max. Yeah. He was right. You and I said Dan, and we were wrong. Yeah, that was disappointing. I think, though, that this may be a question that we bring back for night. Yeah. Along with the, you know, who will have more points, Red Bull or Renault? Mm-hmm. I, I think both of those are going to be some very interesting questions. I think it does change the. I'm not really sure if that's going to be an interesting question, though, and I'm not trying to be contradictory about this, but it's more the fact that with the top three teams being Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari having this overwhelming lead over all the other teams, Red Bull is going to have an overwhelming advantage over Red Bull. But, but you miss one very important point, and that's why it gets very interesting. Actually, there's two important points that make it very interesting. Point number one is that Renault w- was in fourth at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. That's number one. 
Number two is that Red Bull is shifting to the Honda engine. And if the Honda engine is not performance-wise at the same level as the Renault, Renault could overtake Red Bull. It's going to be very interesting. That's it, that's why that's I think that race happens. is going to be really. In, there may still be a huge gap between uh, second and third as a result of this switch, but I think that it may be much closer between Red Bull and Renault next year. So that could be very exciting. So speaking of Renault, what's the next question? Who will finish higher, McLaren or Renault? So under the wishful thinking side, <laughs> you and I agreed that it would be McLaren, and yet again, we were wrong. Well, you know, all I can do is I can go back to um, Fernando Alonso's radio message at the end of the Australian Grand Prix of Now We Can Fight. Yeah, so much for that idea. Yes. So the boy again achieved an extra point above us for his Renault answer. And that was because I figured that since with McLaren doing so bad with Honda, that Honda just destroyed their car. Mm. Our next question. Mm -hmm. Who will finish higher, Haas or Alphab? So Haas finished in the constructors higher. Mm -hmm. That was points for you and points for me. However, the boy was the contradictory one. And he failed with the Sauber answer. Now, the next question, when we when we came up with this question and we discussed it, we did not see, regardless of anything else, we did not see Force India going the way it did this year. Right. So I, I, I got to clarify that because I think that truly makes a huge difference in what really happened Mm -hmm. that is not truly captured captured by the question so the question was who was who would finish higher mclaren or force india okay so you're saying keep in mind force india only had points for half the season because of the administration and the change in the team Mm -hmm. mclaren did score more points than force india but and I've got the numbers in front of me, and I want to call them out here because if you remember, Force India as a team only existed, only got points from Spa onward. Correct. While McLaren had the whole season. And from Spa onward, Force India got 52 points. Mm-hmm. By comparison, Sauber had 48. Okay. And from Spa onward, Force India ended up in seventh. Correct. McLaren ended up in sixth with 62 points. So For the Force India guys, I think that was massive. Well, I agree with you. And if they had been allowed to keep their points from Australia to Spa, mm-hmm. they would have beat McLaren. So here's the thing. Well, see, that's what I don't quite understand. Because I'm looking at the, um, the constructor standings. Mm-hmm. And Sahara Force India, as opposed to Racing Point Force India, is listed in the standings. But they're listed with a zero. Because they had all of their points removed from them. 
but they're listed as a different constructor because that's what. So it, it would have been nice if at least we had had that for a comparison. Now I would have my feeling that would have made it harder to figure out the answer to this question. So. I know that Sahara Force India had about 30 points going into SPA Okay. when they reset to zero. They definitely had more than 10. They would have come out above McLaren had they had all of their points. But we must use oh, agreed. Did, Formula One rules. And here's the thing. You can try to argue that the combined Racing Point Force India and Sahara Force India would have beaten McLaren, but you would be doing your own self and predictions a disservice because you predicted McLaren. You get the that, point that, for this that, one. That's, that's not where I was going with this. Oh. Actually, where I was going with this was more to highlight exactly what Force India achieved in the last part of the season because that wasn't even half the season. Correct. And they ended up with fifty. They ended up with more points in the few races that they had left than they earned in the entire first half of the season. Correct. And that that was really all I wanted to point out. I agree a hundred percent that it needed to be broken out. But what they achieved in those few races is truly impressive. That's all I wanted to call out. So here's the thing: had they not gone through administration, the boy and I would have had the correct answer. Mm-hmm. But because they went through administration, <laughs> we lose the point, and you got the point for your stupid McLaren answer. Yeah, well, okay. That was my whole point. Well, the next stupid McLaren answer. Mm-hmm. So our next question was, would a McLaren driver get a podium this year? And guess who got it right? The boy. By saying no. By saying no. <laughs> well, that's because the top three teams have this overwhelming gap. And for the past two years, only one driver from one of the other teams has made it onto the podium. And that's it. Which ties into the next question of, would a team other than Ferrari, Red Bull, or Mercedes win a race this year? So, based on even the factoid that the boy just announced, Mm -hmm. is based on the fact that at least one of the other teams gets on the podium at some point during the year... This year, it was a big fat no. Yeah. But there was a podium this year by another team. Sergio Perez got a podium in Azerbaijan. Right. This was in the question had been won a race. Right. Win. Right. So but but I did want to be clear that there was we podiums. did see One that was podium? like the only time. One podium? It was like and and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago was that one podium was the first time anyone other than these three teams had managed to get a podium since the year before in Azerbaijan when Lance Stroll did it. Yeah. Because Azerbaijan happens to be a crazy race. So the next question. Mm -hmm. Would Fernando Alonso leave Formula One in 2018? Unanimously, we all got it correct. At yes. Next question. Mm-hmm. Would Daniel Ricardo leave Red Bull in 2018? And if so, where would he go? Now, before you give a ruling, here's my opinion on this. Again, I think I deserve a half point. You got a half point. Okay, excellent. 
Glad we're in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> so the boy and I said no, he wouldn't leave Red Bull, which I think was the safe bet. You said yes. However, you said yes, and you went to Mercedes. Yeah, because, you know, I was truly betting that— I don't think anybody would have thought he would have gone to Renault. Yeah. But but I thought if he was going to go two places, if, if there was anywhere he was going to go, it was going to be to either Mercedes or to Ferrari. And it, it sounded like it was really close to him going to Ferrari mm-hmm. at one point. All right. So who would score more points, Esteban Ocon or Sergio Perez? So you and I thought it was the master of Ocon, mm-hmm. and the boy got Perez. And yeah. with that, he gets the point. Perez had 62 points on the season with Ocon down at 49. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought Esteban had done better than that this year. I was a little surprised that that's how it shook out. Yep. Would Red Bull dump Reno this year? Would the slap fight come to a head? And apparently the question was yes. And or the all, answer was yes. And we all got it right. Would F1 confirm a new race, and if so, where? Now, there was the added stipulation that this didn't have to be for 2021, or, or 2021, just that they would confirm an event. Mm-hmm. And I'm, in looking at this, I'm kind of surprised, knowing what happened this year, that none of us had said Miami, <laughs> given how close Miami was to actually happening. But none of us said that. No. Um, you said Holland. I said Argentina. And the boy said New Jersey because he still hung up on New Jersey. Um, they actually did announce a race, mm-hmm. but it is in Vietnam. So half points all around? It was half points all around, um, which all negate each other. So Yeah. <laughs> well, that's going to happen with the next question, too, of what team will Esteban Ocon drive for in 2019? You know, none of us said that he wouldn't be driving in 2019, so we all lost that one. Although here's the question, because th- this is what's floating around, and I don't think that this is really going to be the case, but there is a couple of F1 pundits that are saying that if Valtteri does not turn things around by Spain, mm. that he could be shown the door and Esteban brought up. Gary Anderson's one of them who said that he has until Spain to turn things around. Does that mean we retroactively go back? Um, here's the problem. Not any one of us picked Mercedes. Oh, crap. So <laughs> even at that, I mean, oh, I was even crap. willing to have given half credit if somebody had said Mercedes as a reserve driver. But none of us did that either. So um, you said Williams, I said Renault, and the boys said Force India. Mind you, we also didn't know that Daddy was going to buy Stroll a team. So. Yeah, there's that too. For his 19th birthday, Lance got a Formula One team. You know, <laughs> I have to go back to my parents. They didn't buy me a Formula One team on my 19th birthday. Okay, well, when we see them in a couple of weeks, we can have that conversation. <laughs> I want to know how that goes down. <laughs> They'll probably buy the boy one because, you know, and, grandchildren are treated better. And, and don't think that one night at dinner that I'm not going to be elbowing you going, hey, didn't you want to ask him something? Didn't you want to do that? Didn't you want to ask? I want to know where that goes. Yeah, not, nowhere good. So 
this was one of those far out questions. <laughs> Would Lewis announce his retirement in 2018? And this was just announce his intentions to retire, but not actually retire at the end of the season. Okay. You know, one of those, I'm thinking in three years I'm going to retire. Yeah, no, he didn't do that. Okay. Um, and we all said no, so we all got a point for it. Fair enough. Phil's question. Mm-hmm. What teams or team, what team or teams will report a carjacking or robbery attempt in Brazil? I showed no report of a I robbery attempt or carjacking in Brazil, so I gave us all zero points because none of us said it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And now we get back to our off the wall predictions. There were points awarded. For I off was the wall. stunned that some of these actually worked. I know. I was blown away. I mean, normally these are so ridiculous that nothing ever happens with this. However, so, you did not get any points. Yeah. For <laughs> yours. Oh, you actually looked up whether or not he, he finished in Le Mans? I'm impressed. I did. So my two. Um, one was that Carmen Jorda would be replaced on the FIA Women in Motorsport Council. She was not. You know, what, what is she actually doing? Um, and the other was that Fernando Alonso would fail to finish in Le Mans. He did finish in Le Mans. He got a podium. Yes. All right. My predictions were that there would be a major crash involving the visibility with the halo. And I don't believe that there was. There was not. But Price and Waterhouse did give me a half a point because the halo was involved, not as a cause, but was involved in two crashes during the year. So they gave me a half a point because it was confirmed that it, it does its No, thing. see, I disagree with that. Because the, the reason why I say that is when you say that it was linked to visibility from the halo, that says that the halo was part of the cause of the crash, not that the halo as a protection device was involved. That's that's the only the the only reason why I have a problem with that. If there was an issue where there was a delay in the response because a driver had problems getting out of the car or an injury that was caused by the hail, some, then I would say yeah, a half point point is warranted. But because the halo actually did its job, I don't think a half point is well. Warranted. See, Price and Waterhouse also factored in the fact that one of the stories that came up multiple times this year was having to relocate the mirrors on the halo because visibility oh, was it? a problem with the mirrors so what they factored in was that there were crashes that the halo became a part of but not or a cause incidents. or incidents and there was the mirror moving mirror moving gate that's why i right, only got half a point all right I, yeah okay i could i get that i could agree with that that's fine now, I said that Fernando would win Le Mans. Mm -hmm. I believe he podiumed, but did not win. You didn't look it up? No. I tried to find it, but I couldn't find the results. Uh, please hold. I did look up the top four WEC championship, though. 2018 Le Mans winner. Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Buemi, and Kazuki Nakajima. Okay, so I get a point for that. <laughs> Why did you not look that up? <laughs> However, I did find out that he was in the top four of the WE Drivers Championship. In fact, he was. it was his team that was in first place. So he won 
a driver's championship yes. in 2019. Yes, he did. Okay. Um, so, by the way, that gave me two and a half points on harebrained <laughs> ideas. <laughs> harebrained predictions. predictions. The boy even gets a point for harebrained predictions. He predicted that Fernando Alonso does not get a podium in 2018. That's he got a point for that one. He also said that New Jersey would host a race, and that is not happening. And so, therefore. Dead and dead. Right. So, after all of the tallying of points. Okay. You. You lost. Figured. You were last place. The boy stands on the top step of the podium with the prediction. Wow. And now he's doing a James May dance. It's really weird. Glad glad you don't have video right now. <laughs> Be very happy with it. The boy has no sense of rhythm. It's not a good thing. Um, I would say that his... the. What pushed him over were the predictions of, um, you know. Not New Jersey. Not New Jersey. <laughs> no, it was the predictions around um, who would get more points. Uh, what was it? Uh, Max so, and Renault and those predictions. So, so wait, to be clear. He got these predictions right. And Fantasy GP, he tanked it. Yeah. First to worst, easily. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Maybe it's not, we need to step up our game and ask harder questions. So, leads me to the next round of questions in general to have. I think it's, it's, it's worth having this discussion of biggest disappointment of the year. You know, last year we had pretty much hammered Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, because they fell apart after, Sing well, from Singapore on, they pretty much fell apart. So for 2018, biggest disappointments of the year? There being one podium from a team that is not Mercedes, Red Bull, or Ferrari. Okay. My biggest disappointment of the year so many actually you can have ties that's okay. fair you um, don't have to have just one <clears throat> one i think that this could have been a really awesome cool silly season mm -hmm. and i think it wasn't that's part of my disappointment no this was a good silly season right. but i'm disappointed from the standpoint of Ocon doesn't have a seat I yes think that, that is a huge miss mm -hmm. um i'm disappointed that kimmy still has a seat <laughs> Um, I think that's just weird to me. It, it is. I, I think they would have been better suited by bringing some younger talent in. I mean. But, but my biggest single disappointment that like trumps everything was truthfully the performance of Williams. I yeah. think that, that the this year fall into fall so far has been that that's hurt. Um, and obviously, and I'm sure this will be one of yours, is Lance's continued. How, how does Lance have a straight seat and Ocon not have a seat? That's what I that's find not to be the injustice. To, to me, that's not disappointment. That's just general frustration. Mm -hmm. But in terms of disappointment from expected better 
than what I saw. Um, once again, I think I have a tie between Ferrari and McLaren. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as, yes, I was not rooting for Ferrari, um, I expected much better out of them than what had happened. Um, but I will add Sebastian Vettel this year as well. Um, I, he, he, he made a lot of mistakes that cost him at least a closer championship race than it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think there were a couple of times, well, let, let's put it this way. His two DNFs that he had, um, those alone, I, I think probably would have drawn this out to the, the last race of the season. Correct. At a minimum, it would have drawn it out to the last race of the season. Um, clearly, Ferrari had the upper hand up until they screwed up the updates and then had to roll everything back as far as they did. And I think that says a lot, the fact that they rolled it back as far as they did and came back strong once they did that. But it tells me that they didn't recognize that they had made a critical error Mm -hmm. faster. I mean, you don't let that go for as long as it went on. And I think you're right. I think Ferrari was, again, one of our top disappointments. Um, McLaren obviously was, and I get really bothered by um, uh, what's-his-face over at, at McLaren declaring that he felt that the reason that uh, the team did so poorly is that they're struggling around leadership when he runs the team. Zach mm-hmm. Brown saying that, that it's a leadership problem at this point, especially when he's the guy who runs the team. Yeah. He's building that team. Um, I, I think that they have gutted their st- – well, actually, I don't know if they, they've so much gutted it. I think there's been so much brain drain from that staff over the last few years because of how poorly they have done mm-hmm. that they have done some significant damage over there. Um, I, I fear that Williams is ending up in a very similar state, and that concerns me a lot. Um which, by the way, again, as much as not huge fans of, of promoting other podcasts, but a couple of weeks ago, F1's Beyond the Grid did a great interview with Claire Williams. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. You got to go listen to it. Um, so, in contrast to our biggest disappointments, mm-hmm. I think that we should end the show on a positive note. Mm-hmm. And I want to hear. What was your favorite moment in the season? When it started. (laughs) (laughs) It was all downhill. Having racing coming back. I mean. (laughs) And it was all downhill after that. Coming coming out of the summer break. Uh... <laughs> it, it, it wasn't Max threatening to headbutt somebody or pushing Ocon or any of those fun little tidbits. Um, well, in a, in a way, I can kind of cheat. Oh. And, and the reason why I can kind of cheat is because I did get the opportunity to go to, to, to Marinello and spend time in the home of Ferrari and it was really, really cool in that hotel to see. And, and I was there the week after Silverstone. So it was between Silverstone and, what, they go to Germany next that year? I think year. so. Um, 
watching the signs come down when I checked in for the watch party in the library in, in the lobby in a restaurant for the British Grand Prix and the signs go up for the watch party the following weekend for the German Grand Prix and that there was that much enthusiasm for a team and for Formula One because you don't see that in the States. To, to see that, and, and in many respects, it was almost to the level of what you see in an American city for a baseball team or a football team. To, to see that was really cool. Okay, that's a that's a good high. Boy, do you have a high of this season? Um, yeah, it would be kind of like seeing um how kind of like um <clears throat> the teams and how like um some people are starting to notice um the gap between the top three teams and the <clears throat> rest of them. So the, the improvements of the teams is what you're, you were excited yeah. about. All right. Well, you guys didn't take the bait. I know. Really and truly. I know. You wanted something truly ridiculous. Like, you know, the the interview between Steve Jones and Sebastian Vettel about the, the sexiest and accent. accent and yeah. things like that. I I thought that was a definite and that high. all the drivers were dumb. and Yeah. I thought that was a high. Just go listen to last week. <laughs> also that. Um, however, I it, I have to say, you know, Lewis stripping down on the podium was pretty big high. Well, there was that, and uh, I'll, I'll pull up the clip because I don't have it handy right now, of the press conference where – Max was being asked by the reporter as to whether or not he could hear all the Dutch fans cheering for him. Oh, yeah. And Max going, no. And Seb leaning over and going, tell them yes. Max, uh, could, <laughs> could you hear the Dutch fans in uh, the final lap? And second, uh, how would you rate this win among the others? No, I, I couldn't hear them. Yes. I think I was... Yes. Nah. I, yes. No, you always have to be honest. You have to say yes, though. No. Okay. okay. Sebastian said I heard yes. Them. Sebastian, I heard them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was another high. So on that note, on the highs, the lows, the fun, go do your own score on your predictions. Find out where you fall in the the slots. Um, and we know that this is a little weird, but we will catch you in probably a predictable about six months. But if not, we'll come back on little spots here and there between the two. Yeah, continue to watch the website. Continue to watch Facebook. We will try and post there as we can. Um, the show is not going away permanently. It is not dying. We will do whatever we can to make sure it stays in the feeds. But it's we're, we, we have to go on hiatus. So Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And you'll happy hear from Happy Valentine's us. Day, Happy Easter, have a, have a great Memorial Day weekend, and hopefully by 4th of July. Okay. <laughs> and happy days.